Pastini is Eugene's new Italian bistro at Oakway Center, dedicated to serving up two of life's greatest pleasures, pasta and wine. Join them for classic favorites like spaghetti and meatballs, linguine with clams and sausage, and fettuccine Alfredo paired with hand-selected Pacific Northwest and Italian wines. Pastini. Eat pasta. Drink wine. Welcome to the Duck Pod from DuckSports.com. Here's Ryan Thorburn and Austin Meek from the Register Guard Newsroom. All right, Austin, we're back. It's uh, National Signing Day Eve, so we have a, a special guest today uh, in studio, Matt Prem from 247 Sports. Matt, first of all, thanks for coming in to the Register Guard. How yeah, are you doing? Absolutely. And doing well. It's snow on the ground. It's officially wintertime. <laughs> yeah. So, obviously, you know, National Signing Day used to be such an event in right. February, and to some degree it still is, but, you know, with t- the new signing day in December, Oregon signed 22 guys this year. What, what's that done in terms of, you know, you guys track recruiting year round? Sure. What's it done in terms of your workload and your site on, on signing day? Just in general terms of just nationally and, and Pac-12 wise the early signing period has basically become what the old original signing period was in that basically every player that that's out there has committed or or has at least signed or is committed and signed or at least committed and you look at the top 100 and of guys that are in our 24/7 sports rankings and I think there's maybe three or four guys in the top 100 that aren't signed um, from an Oregon perspective, yeah, 22 out of their 25 guys have signed. They've only got room for maybe one or two more guys on top of their 25. So you're at a position now where in December, over a six-week, eight-week period, they're really trying to sign two, three, maybe four total players. And it's it's really kind of, I, I guess, you know, taking the, the bang out of the excitement of, of National Signing Day because we pretty much know where Oregon is at right now. Yeah, yeah, we all remember um, in December, Oregon signed the, the highest-rated recruiting right. class they'd ever had. Uh, a lot of excitement and buzz around Oregon recruiting at that point. Catch us up a little bit on what's what's happened since then. Oregon has picked up sure. uh, two or three commitments. Uh, what's happened since the early signing day? Yeah, Oregon has three verbal commitments and since that early signing period, and they all happened in about a 48-hour period. Uh, the first one was Logan Sagapalu, a three-star uh, offensive lineman from Utah. He committed at the Polynesian All-American game on TV uh, on a Saturday night in Hawaii. He's the top-rated center in the, in the country, or top-rated center out west. He's the eighth-best center in the country. Uh, he's the fourth-best player in the state of Utah, and he picked Oregon over BYU and the local school, Utah, as well. Um, a lot of other schools tried to get involved, but for whatever reason, he kind of stuck with those three. And the, the caveat with him is, is he's not planning to enroll at Oregon next season. He's going to take a two-year religious mission uh, and, and enroll at Oregon in 2021. And he's he's come out already and said, like, there's, there's no chance in his mind, at least right now, that he goes anywhere else besides Oregon. Because once he gets back from his religious mission, he's actually able to be recruited again. 
Uh, he's not bound by his NLI that he'll sign with Oregon. So he could go anywhere he wants, but he says he's going to go to Oregon. And then a couple days later, and basically about a two-hour span, they got three-star commitments from Jamal Hill and DJ James. Uh, uh, Hill is a safety, and, and James is a is a cornerback. Hill's from Georgia. James is from Alabama. They're both you know guys that had SEC offers as three stars, and you know a lot of of the schools in that area uh, in the South were, were trying to get them, and, and Oregon was able to to get them on campus for official visits and then secure commitments less than twenty four hours later. Last year, obviously, everyone knows that the December signing period was so chaotic for Mario Cristobal and the remaining staff right. with the Las Vegas Bowl interrupting that and all that stuff, and and they salvaged a pretty good recruiting class. What I m- remember most about the February signing period is that Mario started his press conference and was talking about some of the guys, and I think they signed eight or nine yeah. uh, in February. But right in the middle of that press conference, like, can I talk about this guy? <laughs> and the compliance is like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's official. Go ahead. And that was Panay Sewell. Yeah. So arguably the best recruit they had last year was at the last hour. Do you foresee any scenario at all where they get a stud recruit at the last minute this year? Yeah. I mean, there's uh, Puka Nakua. He's a four-star. He was actually the MVP of the Polynesian All-American Bowl. He's currently committed to USC. He plays receiver. Um, it's pretty safe to say that he's probably not going to go to USC, He's even though he's currently committed there the day before National Signing Day. Uh, that's what makes recruiting just so crazy. Um, he's probably going to go either to Oregon or Washington. He visited both those schools in the last three weeks, as well as UCLA. Um, I would I would say if, if there's going to be a big name, that's who it's going to be. He's a top 200 player in the country uh, and he plays at a position of need where he would have an opportunity kind of like Penny Sewell did of thrusting himself into the starting lineup if he's as good as advertised uh, that would be the guy that I would say it's most likely to come you know Oregon's going to have a hat on the table when uh, Ishmael Sofer a four-star defensive tackle from Louisiana makes his commitment on ESPN during the signing day day uh, but chances of him going to Oregon are, are very very slim so I, I would say Puka Nakua Oregon obviously needs help uh, at receiver they signed I think four receivers yeah. uh, in the early period uh, they've been in on a, a grad transfer yep. Kyle Ford the USC commit yep. his name has been thrown around with Oregon uh, where's Oregon at in terms of of receivers and you know either in terms of the guys they've signed or the guys they're in the mix for uh, do you see a couple guys in there that you think would be candidates to come in and play right away yeah the, the first one is the big one is Micah Pittman, and this is a, a four-star guy that's ranked inside the top 100, uh, one of the best players in the state of California. His brother's actually going to be a senior at USC next year and was probably their best player at that position uh, for the Trojans last season. And, and Oregon went in and was able to not only get him out of Southern California, but get him away from you know the school where he has family at. And he, he goes to a really good high school program Calabasas High School uh, in, in, in Southern California and you know they have a lot of players every single year next year in 2020 they've got like two five-star receivers as well on their team uh, so Oregon you know builds in roads there he's got to have a chance to play right away kind of like what Dylan Mitchell did he's he's built like a running back though but can play the receiver position he's 215 pounds 210 pounds he's six foot uh, and this is a guy that Oregon has told he, he could 
play right away. That's what he's been, you know, saying to other people. And then they've also got Lance Wilhoy and you know Josh Delgado, who are two four-star receivers. Uh, and then J.R. Waters is the one that I think could be quote sleeper because he's a three-star, but he was a player of the year in Southern California in his his league, and everything that happened for him from a recruiting wise ranking standpoint going into the fall was he had a huge spring and summer and our anal- our evaluators basically said we need to see what he does in- during the season and then see what he does in an all-american game uh he dominated high school football but then didn't get invited uh, to an all-american game so he kind of stayed kind of where he was at but everyone that we've talked to in our company that's evaluation uh standpoint all say he's going to be a guy that could really outplay his ranking it seems to me like this coaching staff is really honing in on and and mining california like you would hope an oregon recruiting team would try to do uh headlined by Kayvon thibodeau the five-star defensive lineman uh assuming this kid stays healthy uh, and all those things, I remember, you know, Canton Kamatule looked right. the part and was also a five-star guy. You just never know yep. for sure. But just assuming this kid stays healthy, stays motivated, is he as close to a sure thing in terms of recruiting it as, as you can have? Yeah. I mean, he he has everything of size, athleticism, strength. Uh, he's more developed early on from a physical standpoint than kids his age and he's already on campus now that's going to help um i don't think canton Kamatule enrolled early if, if i can't remember that correctly or not but that's a huge benefit for guys especially on the d-line to get bigger um he's he's pretty close as, as long as he remains focused and that was kind of the knock on him was and he he said it was unfair because he's, he he mentioned that I'm 17. I'm going to have bad games. I'm going to have double teams. I'm going to get triple teamed, and of course I'm I'm not going to get three or four sacks a game, but I'm going to get one. And you know you you play a, a 13 game schedule and you have 13 sacks. That's pretty impressive. Uh, but yeah, he's he's pretty much as close as you can get. And with our rankings at 24/7 Sports, five stars means that we believe you're a future first round draft pick, and that. It's exactly what you see in him. He will step on the field uh, at Oregon day one and and contend for, if not a starting spot, a, a spot in the rotation. It'd be pretty pretty big shock if he's not in the rotation at all. So, do you see him uh, playing the Jalen Jelks role, or where do you see him in, in Levitt's? Yeah, I, I think he'll do a lot of what uh, Jelks and Hollins did. Um, he'll he'll probably start on the line of scrimmage and have his hand on the ground. Uh, but, you know, he mentioned back in, in November that there was discussion of him, you know, playing outside linebacker down the road and kind of, you know, laying a foundation of get good at being a defensive end first. And then when you get that handled and, and figured out and we feel comfortable putting you there, Oregon's coaches then said, we'll put you at linebacker and, and let you do that as well. So he's, he could be a guy in a couple of years that could play multiple spots. You look at what's happening with USC right now. Um, they, yeah, they they'd made the decision to bring back Clay Helton. They hire Cliff Kingsbury to be their offensive coordinator. It looks like they're starting to get a little momentum. Then Kingsbury leaves yeah. for the NFL. It seems like their recruiting class is kind of falling apart. Have you ever seen anything like this with with USC? And what kind of opportunity is that for Oregon to have kind of the Pac-12's flagship program in, right. in California? It seems like is in shambles right now. Well, Oregon has 11 commitments from state of California, and a lot of those guys come from Matter Day High School. Uh, 
St. John Bosco High School and SoCal and Orange County. And that's just basically a feeder area, especially Matter Day. You know, Matter Day every year sends one or two guys to USC, sometimes three or four. Um, St. John Bosco might be the best program in all of college, high school football across the country. And every year they have seven, eight, nine guys that play Division One football. Obviously, not at all of them are not going to Pac-12 level schools. But you know, Oregon went in there after previously not having any success in getting guys. And the crazier thing for USC is that this might be the first year in, I guess, recruiting ranking era that they don't have a five star. Every year they've all, they've always signed a five star, and this might be the year where they they don't have it. And you know. Oregon's taking advantage of USC being down. Washington has taken advantage of of the Trojans being down. But where it's really been impacted is because of USC's uncertainty and you know poor play. Other schools outside of the Pac-12 footprint have come into California and have gotten guys that typically would have gone to USC. And then if they didn't go to USC, they would have stayed in the Pac-12. You know, Joe Nada is a a top 50 prospect at receiver that's going to Clemson. Um, Alabama has a couple guys. Texas has uh, two guys. Uh, Tennessee could go into the Bay Area and get a guy that's traditionally, you know, a school that's either sent a, a kid to Washington, Oregon, or USC and De La Salle. You know, every year that those schools always get at least one guy. Um, USC being down is bad for the Pac-12. Yeah. And you, you need them up, up there. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, we talk about the Pac-12 and the ways the Pac-12 has fallen behind the other major conferences, and you see it on the field. The last two years we've seen it on the field. We've seen it in, in bowl games. Um should the Pac-12 be worried right now about what's happening when you when you see, you know, we just read a story about how uh, high school football participation is yeah. down in California. California is, you know, such a vital part of, of keeping Pac-12 right. schools you know, in business. So should Pac-12 schools be worried about this? I think so. I mean, if, if the state that you rely on the most to produce your players has a numbers drop, and, and look, there will always be the elite guy, um, you know, the Kayvon Thibodeaus, those guys will always be there. Those guys are playing football no matter what. But what happens is is you're a three-star guy, you're a two-star guy. The guy that can then can push Kayvon Thibodeau in practice or every game Kayvon Thibodeau knows he's going to go up against another guy that's going to play college football. Not necessarily at his level, but he's a good player. Those guys are going away and they're playing other sports. And so your your athletes, your freak athletes, your freak football players aren't going to be as developed or used to playing a good competition. And that's, that's the knock here in our state, in Oregon, is when there's a Division One caliber guy that's Pac-12 level, the, the question becomes, how quickly will he adapt to being on a field with everyone being as good as him? You know, that's That was the question that's going to be asked about Patrick Herbert. That was asked about Thomas Tyner, Colt Lyerla, uh, Keenan Lowe. Some of these guys, they step on the field and it doesn't matter. And then for other ones, you know, when they go someplace and, and they dominate, or at the Oregon level, and then they go somewhere else, like a Chase Coda at South Medford. He's at UCLA. He really struggled this season. Uh, and part of that is because he doesn't see the competition yeah. that a guy in California sees. Yeah, I remember watching that South Medford team. I think they played like Roseburg. And, I mean, you could tell that Chase Coda was, like, athletically on a different yeah. level than everybody, but it's like – it kind of look I mean not to disparage at all yeah. the, the high school football that's played in Oregon but um, you could tell those weren't like <laughs> division one caliber players right. he was lining up against to that point I 
covered Sheldon's state championship game, and Patrick did look like a man amongst yeah. boys, uh, and he can definitely catch the ball. Um, Oregon has some veteran tight ends who, you know, Breland's a pass catcher, but the other guys are more blockers. I- is there any chance that Justin is passing the ball to Patrick next season? I, I think so. Patrick is probably one of the craziest just recruiting stories from an Oregon perspective or nationally this season because um, he didn't go to any camps. He didn't go to any combines. He didn't play in the opening. He didn't try and uh, go to – I don't think he even went to Oregon's football camp. He didn't participate in Saturday Night Live. And he relied strictly on his high school tape. And he saw almost a jump of 200 – position points in the recruiting rankings when we finalized our, our spot he he through the went through the charts and i asked our national evaluators like how did you come to this number off of a guy that literally played in a state where there's very little competition and they they came back to me and said that it, watching his film you could tell from just a physical standpoint and athletic standpoint that he's different than most other tight ends across the country uh and i, I think with the fact that they only basically had Jacob Breland this season. I mean, McCormick got hurt game one, and that really kind of changed the story of the tight end position. But I think that position group is wide open, even with Breland coming back, that someone could come in and take the spot. could be Spencer Webb, who redshirted and is a lot like Patrick Herbert. Um, But, yeah, I think there's a good chance that we'll we'll hear Don Essex say Herbert to Herbert for a touchdown. At least in four games. At least in four games. Yeah. Uh, okay, two-part question here. What's the latest on uh, Juwan Johnson, grad transfer receiver from Penn State? And then also, where's Oregon at from a numbers standpoint? Uh, are Do they have room for all sure. these guys they're after? Yeah. And are, are we going to see some roster turnover right. with some guys who aren't coming back to make room? Uh, with Juwan Johnson, he left Monday. Um, everything – I mean, Oregon had, had a couple guys that are grad transfer targets that they were looking at. Juwan Johnson was one – Lawrence Cager uh, at Miami was another. We've heard KJ Osborne from Buffalo was a guy that had interest in Oregon. Um, don't know if Oregon was interested in him, uh, but they chose to bring in Juwan Johnson first. And Juwan Johnson has no other visits. He, he hasn't visited anywhere else. And so you kind of connect the dots there. It's kind of, does Oregon offer? Does Oregon want to take him? Uh, and if, if, he, if they do do that offer, you know, I, I think it's safe to say Juwan Johnson probably will come to Oregon because he's not looking at anybody else yet. He's waiting to see what the Ducks do. Um, now, how many guys they can take? I was talking with Ryan before we started that they're o- they're over the limit right now by our numbers. I mean, we, we could be wrong, but we're, we've we've gone over this basically the entire year and tried to clarify on certain guys and uh, got some clarifications back, but we have them at 86 out of 85, so, so they're one over right now. So basically, every player that they sign right now, uh, they have to have two players leave the program um, to, to get in under the 85. Now, there's ways that they can get past that without transfers. You know, they could be a gray shirt guy who chooses to not enroll in June and then join the team in December of 2018 or 2019. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there could be guys that, we don't know about academically that aren't going to get into school. And, you know, Logan Sagapalo is one of them. He's, he's going to count towards the recruiting ranking, but he's not going to count towards the scholarship number because he's, he's taking his mission for two seasons. So there's some funky ways to get around that number. But at this point in time, without adding anybody, one player has to, to either not get into school, choose not to come uh, in June or someone on the current team has to leave the program. 
So you did a very interesting article where you looked back since the recruiting uh, composite sites started about 2002 at the 17 national championships right. during that period. And of those uh, 34 teams that played in the championship game, I think 32 had at least one top yeah. 10 recruiting class, uh, and Oregon was the outlier there. Um, now Oregon is going to have a top yeah. 10 recruiting class, but you also have Justin Herbert only for one more year, Troy Dye only for one more year, a lot of these offensive linemen for only one year. How do you think this coaching staff will mesh this bright future they have by getting a top 10 recruiting class with the ingredients they have to win right now? Well, right now, I mean, obviously the receiver position, that's where there's the most possibility for a highest possibility for a guy to come in and, and play right away. Um, and that's with, with four receivers they have, possibly five with Puka Nakua or Jawan Johnson, maybe even six if they take them. Um, you know, so I think the receiver spot is the one position where, yeah, you're going to see some newcomers play right away. They're going to have to play because looking at Dylan Mitchell being gone and everyone else who comes back, I, I don't think you can say that there's one or two guys that are consistently going to be able to be all you know all Pac-12 caliber like Mitchell was at any level. Honorable mention to the first team. Um, defensively there could be some some depth for cornerback and, and safety um, the ducks would like to see a couple guys step up at those two positions so you know newcomers there could play uh, defensive line Kayvon Thibodeau is going to play and yeah, I, I think what this class is going to do though is you might not see uh, a lot of freshman starting or if you have a junior college guy like a Drew Mathis starting at linebacker but instead of having to rely on walk-ons or having to rely on you know a guy that quite honestly just isn't at this level uh, of Pac-12 player, Power Five conference play, uh, the depth will will improve. And instead of being able to play forty guys, maybe Oregon will be able to now play fifty-five guys uh, next season, and that that matters. And that matters in in November when injuries start happening and guys' bodies start breaking down and, and it matters when you get to a bowl games or if, if Oregon's lucky enough to get to, to the playoff that, you know, go back in 2014, how many receivers did, did they lose to injury? And, you know, that stuff happens and you need to have the depth to, to be able to withstand that. And that's what's kind of been lacking for Oregon the last two seasons is, in my opinion, that they had really good, you know, first string guys, but when those guys needed to come off for rest or injury, you saw a big drop off. Well, in addition to uh, the great football and recruiting coverage, you also do a great job covering the the Oregon basketball team. Thanks. Man, what's going on with Dana Altman's <laughs> team right now? It's like every time you think maybe they're starting to figure it out, they have a game like they had against Colorado where they just completely no-show. Yeah. And that's, I mean, obviously losing bowl, that changes your entire season, but it still seems like they have the talent on this team that yeah. they ought to be, you know, at least they ought to be competitive with like the middle-tier teams in the Pac-12 like Colorado. Yeah, I think there's... It's it's a two part answer. The first part is the the bull issue is they built this team basically around him. Every piece besides bull was brought in to fit his style of play. And you could maybe say Lewis King wasn't that because he's so good. But even Lewis King's style of play really benefited with, with what bull brought to the table. So you you remove bull, uh, that changes everything. And Oregon had to kind of relearn how to play in a different style with players that necessarily weren't recruited to play that way with without bull. Um, and then on top of that, you know, I remember media day with Dan Altman. He said that 
they wish they had another guard. And you you look at this team, and what's their biggest issue? In my opinion, it's shooting. They don't have a yeah. guy that that you can just say, "Hey, run off screens," or you know, "Get open," and, and we'll find you. And you you hit the knockdown jumper. Um, but we're also finding out that and one and done recruiting is not the issue here for Oregon, and that's what Oregon fan typically blames us on is that mm-hmm. oh Dana's recruiting one and dones we need to get away from that and that's not the issue the one and done guys are good they they get here and they they put up good numbers or solid numbers and they're not the problem it's what's around them is that they have one player from the final four team in Peyton Pritchard that played and I look across college basketball and Villanova they're always good because they're always upperclassmen Gonzaga their best players this season are juniors and seniors with I think one sophomore Tennessee is the number one team in the country and their entire rotation is seniors and juniors and people will then say well what about Duke or what about Kentucky well Oregon doesn't recruit at that level Mm -hmm. Duke has the number one the number three the number five and the number 12 freshman in the country and on top of that they have another top 50 guy and then they have around them this is why they're so good because they've got five really good freshmen but then they have a five-star that's a junior they have three more top 50 guys that are juniors or sophomores they have a base around these freshmen that when a freshman has a a bad night that's going to happen they don't just have that guy to rely on they have other options and that's kind of what Oregon's issue is in my opinion is that they don't have any continuity they don't have any foundation to to lean on to help these freshmen and these newcomers ease into things and carry them when they have bad games. Yeah, I've been saying that too is look at how many players have left that program yeah. over the last two or three years. Guys who were never going to be, you know, all Pac 12 yep. type guys, but like a Keith Smith or a Kendall Small, guys who would have been right now would be upperclassmen yeah. who would be the complimentary guys to the the one and done, you know, the guys who are going right. to get drafted. Oregon doesn't have any of those guys. And looking at their class next year, they've got another really highly yeah. ranked class coming in. They've got another top 10 class, but I look at this, you know, CJ Walker, uh, super talented kid, Chandler Lawson, uh, but it, the, the only backcourt guy they've got coming in is the junior college transfer Duarte um are they going to be right back in this position next year where they've got like you know a bunch of talented athletes in the front court but they don't have that backcourt depth well Duarte is really good he's the number one player in Juco okay and he averages like 20 points a game and eight eight rebounds and a couple assists but the big thing is is he shoots almost 60 percent from the field Mm. and he shoots over 45 percent from three and he's taking more than two or three shots a game uh on three-pointers so it's it's not like a guy that's just shooting once a game and, Mm -hmm. and hitting every other one um i think they need to get away from grad transfers and they did they've they helped this program and you know you have to credit that but hindsight's 2020 but where would Oregon be right now if instead of getting McIntosh and instead of getting Elijah Brown they went out and got two junior college players yeah where maybe they're not as good overall as both of those players but you have them for two years they're invested into the program uh full time not that McIntosh and Elijah Brown weren't um but those guys the grad transfer comes in and very rarely do you see a guy just selfishly give up you know his role because this is his last chance mm-hmm. and he wants to prove that he's either in the NBA or he wants to prove that he can play overseas and you know there's kind of that one and done mentality to yeah. it um i i think they need to to go away with the grad transfer unless the only way i would do it moving now is and it's easy for me to say this but 
kind of like the Final Four team, mm-hmm. where you've got everybody back. You've you don't really have a hole on your team, and if you have an open scholarship and there's a really good grad transfer that's willing to come in, I think that's when you can take it. Um, but outside of that, I, I think Oregon's needs to stop relying on the grad transfer and figure out a way to have some continuity, have carryover, develop your roster a little bit because. Where would this team be if they had two more seniors yeah. on it and that knew what they were doing, that that were had a year of experience in Dana Altman's offense and defense and kind of knew where to go? They don't have to be even road beaters, just solid six points, four yeah. rebound type guys that you could throw out there and say, hey, we know they're not going to make a mistake. Yeah, Dana had a great run there for a few years with like Jason Kaliste yeah. and uh, oh, what was the guy from you? Mike Moser. Mike, Mike yeah. Moser, yeah. But it's almost like... He, it's almost like Oregon got into that grad transfer thing before a lot of schools yeah. did, and now everybody's in on him. And yeah. it's like if you don't get the number one guy you're after, then you end up taking like Ehab Amin, who's yep. you know, God bless him, he's he's trying, but he doesn't look like a Pac-12 player to yeah. me. So like you play that game if you're not getting the best ones out there, then you can end up uh, in the situation that Oregon's in. Yeah, and we didn't really think how big of a deal it was at the time, but missing out on Brandon Williams, who's a freshman at Arizona, he came here for an official visit in the spring. Uh, missing out on Joe Cremo, who's at Villanova, a grad transfer guard, uh, and then missing out on like a guy like Lawson at, at uh, South Carolina, who's a true freshman guard as well from Canada. You know, those three guys are you know. All of them, if you put one of them on Oregon, or I think Oregon's season looks drastically different because you have a third point guard, uh, you have another, you know, all three of those guys score the ball pretty well. So you have another scorer at, at the guard position, and, and you're not having to just rely on, you know, telling every night, hey, Peyton, we need 13, 14 points out of you every single night. You cannot have a bad night. Uh, Victor Bailey, you have to be able to score 10 points a game. We can't have a bad night. Uh, Oregon just doesn't have the guard depth, and that's. I think that's the issue with this team, along with experience and understanding of where things are at within the offense and defense. Matt, but before we get you out of here, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, I think you're probably coming up on the anniversary of, of a horrible car yeah. accident you were in with your sons. And if you could just speak to a little bit about you know, how you feel about that anniversary sure. coming out, the response the community had to you and especially your son, and, yeah. and just how that changed your life. Uh, came on, happened on... February 13th at 5.20 p.m. I will probably never forget that. Um, since then, yeah, the outpouring support from, from Oregon's fan base and the U of O athletically and you guys here at the Register Guard and just everyone else that covers this team has been amazing. Um, it, it really changed my life and my perspective on life of how much I work and how much I you know devote towards my family. I've kind of flipped them. Um, you know, we were very lucky with my son walking away, not walking away, but, uh, you know, leaving that accident and having some surgeries. Um, and I won't get into the, the gory details of it, but, you know, he, he should have died. And him being, you know, playing sports right now and, you know, we're still going through some stuff of, of you know, psychologically now. Um, it, it's been a, an amazing year, uh, from the hardest things I've ever dealt with, but, you know, also some, really truly blessings um that we've been bestowed upon and you know i i did a fundraiser as a thank you to to send kids to to a duck game and the overwhelming support from oregon's fans was amazing we set out a goal of a thousand dollars and we almost raised i think four uh which was 
pretty wild uh and we're gonna try and do that again next year and uh i'm gonna try and i've been thinking about doing men's and women's basketball uh instead of just the men's and uh we'll, we'll go from there and you know it's 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 crazy that's it's almost been a year uh we're, we're what like eight days away from that um yeah it's it's I, I can't thank everyone enough for the support that they gave to us you know immediately after the accident but even in August and September and October when uh, you know we were still going through things and it, it just shows that you know there's a lot of good people still out in the world well Matt it's awesome to see you and your family doing well uh, we love checking out your coverage at Duck Territory you do a great job with the recruiting stuff so we'll uh, we'll be glued to that the next couple days as uh, as all the news comes in uh, for signing day so thanks for stopping by the podcast we really appreciate it hey absolutely guys thanks Thanks for listening to this episode of The Duck Pod from DuckSports.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And always available at DuckSports.com. 